Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. This week, um, a definite change of pace from um, the last book we reviewed, and <laughs> let's be honest, from pretty much every book we've reviewed this year. Um, this week, it is The drive Through Crematorium by John Bassoff. Uh, I'm going to do part of this um, bio because it, it's, um, it's a little bit outdated, so I'm going to try to stick to the relevant parts. John Bassoff was born in 1974 in New York City and currently lives in a ghost town somewhere in Colorado. His mountain gothic novel Corrosion was called Startlingly Original and Unsettling by Tom Piccarilli, a four-time winner of the Bram Stoker Award and won the Dark Fuse Reader's Choice Award for Best Novel. His surrealistic follow-up Factory Town was called A Hallucinatory Descent into an Urban Hell by Bram Stoker Award-winning author Ramsey Campbell. Um, John Bassoff has been reviewed twice on the book podcast and interviewed once yeah uh yeah the bio doesn't mention the incurables which is the other book right uh, Mm -hmm. we did corrosion and incurables yeah we got a long long history with this dude the first uh, review we did was october of 2013 that is uh that is a long time ago it's like every Um, few years we bring bring him back around so this one's read the synopsis man (laughs) all right uh i'm I'm gonna start out by saying that this book is published by eraserhead press uh anybody who's aware uh, i guess not aware uh eraserhead press is the i would say the the premier uh press uh publisher for bizarro fiction that's a that's a pretty safe way to put it So that being said, Bizarro Fiction, here is the synopsis. Stanley Maddox lives a mundane life in a nondescript town. His wife is cheating on him, his colleagues at work don't recognize him, and he has recently noticed a mysterious creature darting its way through his house. When he notices a flap of skin on his face, he begins pulling. Beneath his skin lies another person, an evil person, with the power to change his life forever. I think we might be a little all over the place with this review, which is okay because it's a short book, so we're not going to be able to get too deep into it. But Rob, are you the kind of person who, if you found a flap of skin on your face, would begin like pulling at it and stuff, or are you not? I am. I would say that. Yeah, I am. me too. Yeah, it would bother me. I'd be like, "What's going on here?" And it would just—it would yeah. be the only thing I could think about. Yeah, exactly. And I would pull at it because I'd rather have it like you know be horribly disfigured. <laughs> <laughs> that allow this flap of skin to be there. So yeah. um, for all the things that we may find not believable from this story, I'm on board with, with Stanley and the and the, the trying to get this flap of skin yeah. off his face. It's probably the most grounding element of the book. <laughs> yeah, so let's start by saying um, people who are familiar with Eraserhead Press, I think Rob did a great job explaining who they are, but if you heard Eraserhead Press, I think you know where we might be going with this book, and that's that um, this book's really fucking weird. Yeah, short and weird. 160 pages, and weird from page one. Um, And before we get into the story at all, I kind of had, I was thinking about um, the mindset you have to step into when you're reading Bizarro, so I thought maybe we'd talk about that for a second. Um, in any fiction, uh, in most fiction, I should say, uh, at some point there's that suspension of disbelief where you have to be like, you have to allow for some things that like you, you typically wouldn't, uh, in, in real life, just because it's a story, it's fiction. It's like, you know, um, some things are going to be exaggerated or, 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 
something like that. With Bizarro, uh, when you're following a protagonist, like not only do you have the general, like a a, <laughs> a massive amount of suspension of disbelief for reading a Bizarro story, but I was thinking about this when I was reading this book. You also have to have, um, you have to allow for the protagonist's suspension of disbelief in a way. Um, and I'm saying this before we start to tell you the story because immediately things are happening in this story that an, a normal person wouldn't tolerate or stand for. And so off the bat, uh, when I started reading this book, I was like, all right, no sane person would allow that to happen. So I, this, I guess this is the way the book is going to go. And I had to get into <laughs> that mindset. Do you, do you agree with that? 100%. I, I have a note about kind of addressing this type of story, which I'm going to say probably closer to the wrap ups. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you're right. I was going through the same thing. And, you know, we had just come off um, of reading uh, Wanderers, Chuck Wendig's Wanderers, which, you know, takes place like slightly in the future. And yes, there are some elements in there that are a little um, beyond belief, but they're all kind of based on like possible trajectory of science. So the suspension mm -hmm. of disbelief is like, this can totally happen. Not today, but 10 years from now, five years from now, whatever. Right. And I was the same way I got into this and I was like, not actively, but in the back of my mind, I was like, this is horseshit. How am I reading this? How am I? And exactly that. Like, here's Stanley doing his thing. And I'm like, nope, this, none of this, none of this is possible. Um, so I started off the same way and had to, like, remind myself. Because let's face it, m most, the majority of what we read, right? There's a lot of crime fiction. There's a lot of um, crime fiction. That's what everybody thinks. And now they've got me thinking it too, which is really the disappointing part of that, right? That I've been lulled into thinking we only review crime fiction. Yeah. Even the horror <laughs> stuff. Like the so let's say that we're reading a supernatural horror book, which we've done, right? Yeah. The characters that get involved with supernatural horror are all living very normal lives. So even from that standpoint, we're at least grounded in the fact that we're seeing this through the eyes of normal people that come up against something that's uh, horrific, supernatural, or whatever. So there's still that grounding, but you're right. The protagonist in this one isn't grounded as a normal human being. And I think that's the part that's probably the hardest to get into. Yeah, because like uh, we don't have, well, ground, like a grounded character is what we've been talking about, but like he's totally unmoored. There's nothing that's like, connecting him to a, a typical reality and so we basically at the beginning of the book just have to make the decision either i'm just going to accept what happens and try and like go along with it or uh i'm just my mind is just rejecting it because like you know this is just nonsense and if you're going to try and you know give the book a fair shake you have to do that well i guess i have to just accept what's happening and go along with it let's That'd get into it yeah, so the book starts off with uh, the, the main character's name is Stanley Maddox, and he is basically going to work, like, in the morning. He's, he's showing up at the office, and um, the, the, it's mentioned in the synopsis, um, the thing that he slowly notices as he's kind of making his way through his normal morning routine is that his co-workers are giving him weird looks and, and treating him as if they have like no clue who he is. And so basically the first chapter is he shows up to work 
expecting this to be a day like any other and nobody at work recognizes him at all. Which carries into, so for context, he's worked there for six years and he's a lending officer, I guess, like a mortgage lending officer. Um, the kind of guy who gets all your paperwork together and gets you approved for a mortgage. Um, and uh, this goes so far as to his boss, who he's worked for for six years, comes up and basically says to him, hey, aren't you the new temp? I thought you were starting, you know, next Tuesday. And he's like, no, dude, it's me, Stanley. I've worked here for years. And the guy's like, nope, I don't remember you. <laughs> he's like, he actually says, this is the best part of this. He's like, I have a really bad memory, so sometimes I check with things. So when he doesn't recognize him, he apparently went to some coworkers. And I'm like, <laughs> do you guys know who that is? Like, you know, just checking to make sure that he's not wrong. Which yeah. is, um, as you'll find out, Robin, just a few years, you'll start doing that too. Where you're like, before I say anything, I should probably look into this with somebody else. Maybe somebody who has all their faculties about them. Yeah. So essentially, what Rob is saying, I think, and we can start because I don't know how far we're going to go into it. But yeah, basically... The boss says, well, look, um, you know, we're, we're a busy office. We can use someone, but I sure can't pay you. You just keep showing up and doing yeah. your job. <laughs> and Stanley and Stanley's like, yeah, he has this kind of internal dialogue where he's like, well, that's better than, you know, and even if I, if I have a job I'm not getting paid for, it's better than not having any job at all. <laughs> so, like, he agrees to continue working. Yeah, it's um, like maybe if I work, if I do good enough work, they'll start paying me again. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, you know, we go from that to um, most of the characters in this book, though, kind of have the same thing. I know we kind of talked about this from being grounded from Stanley's point of view, but obviously the, the boss is not in a, you know, um, our world kind of uh, character either. Yeah. Then we're introduced to uh, Wendy, who is uh, Stanley's wife. Um she loves her uh, her um, Hallmark movie channel movies, so she's really into romance <laughs> movies. She's also not necessarily the most realistic character um, in this book either. Yeah, I noticed with the the Wendy character. So he goes home, and it's like um, the you know it's introducing us to his home life and and what he thinks about his home life, for, which he you know believes is pretty common and good. Like he he. He's he's introduced to this book in the beginning to think, you know, I, I, I don't have a super exciting life, but I've got a good job. I've got a good wife. Uh, I got a good home and, and, you know, life, you know, life is good. So we, we get home and, and his wife is a little bit kind of up and down with him. Like she's a little bit bitchy and she like tells him at one point that she saw like a, like a wounded rabbit. <laughs> And he has to go find it and kill it or get rid of it or something. Um, so the home life doesn't quite match up with um, what he thinks it is um, in this. And and I guess the thing that I recognize with as we go through the book with the, the Wendy character is that she's very black and white. Not black and white. She's very kind of like, I'd say like a bipolar kind of character. Sometimes she's super lovey to him. A lot of the times, though, she's like kind of bitchy and, and mean and obviously from the synopsis also cheating on him she becomes so this book is kind of like a devolution into into stanley's madness and i mean that's pretty much straight from from the synopsis right like that that 
um, you know, obviously things are, are going um, poorly for, for Stanley. But to the point where his wife's not just cheating on him, he comes home one day and there's a guy sitting on the couch next to her. Yeah. Watching a movie with her. Got his hand on her thigh. That guy gets dinner. Stanley has to make a sandwich. Like the, like that type of thing. And Stanley, I guess, is probably supposed to represent like the really weak... Um, you know, uh, not willing to put up a fight for anything. So, like, he argues with himself at some points, like, you know, should I be putting up a stink about this, or is it just, maybe I should, maybe it's just easier for me to make my own sandwich. Yep. He um, goes goes to bed that night, and the this this other guy, Jeff, um, who is, uh, is, is obviously involved with his <laughs> wife, is sleeping in the bed. So, like, Stanley doesn't want to sleep on the couch, but he doesn't want to disturb them. So there's this just great scene of him trying to fit on the bed with the two of them. <laughs> yes. And, like, at one point he's, like, super uncomfortable, but he doesn't want to have to move, like, Jeff's foot because he doesn't want to wake Jeff up. You know what I mean? So he's just taking everything that life is dishing at him. You know, he's working for free at the lending uh, company. He's, he's uh, uh, being, you know, cuckolded by his wife, like, openly, like, in their home. And, and he's kind of putting up with it. So, you know, part of this is a transition. Part of the story is Stanley's transition. And we're really seeing, like, it ramp up. But this is how we see what type of person he has been and, and is, at least currently in this part of the book. Yeah, and then somewhere along in the early chapters, the uh, the titular drive through crematorium is introduced to the story. And it is exactly that. It is a drive-through crematorium, so he's he's on his way home, and it's after one of the days. It's after Jeff has kind of like established his presence in the house, and he doesn't want to go home. Um, he wants to kind of like get home as late as possible to not deal with what's happening in his house. So he kind of just kind of rolls around, and he notices this big line of cars, and like nobody in the world would ever do this. But he's like, "Oh, here's a big line of cars. I'm going to get in it." <laughs> And I, at least I wouldn't. I don't know. I don't know, Livia. Do you? No, no. All right. It reminded me of those. I, I know I've seen this in some movies, right? Where like one person's looking up, and yep. another person comes and looks up, and they're not looking at anything. But all of a sudden, there's like twenty people all staring at the sky. That's yeah. kind of I felt about Stanley and the the drive through. <laughs> and uh, he, you know, it uh, time passes, and he gets up to the front of the line, and it turns out that it is. A drive-through crematorium, and he doesn't know the person who is being displayed. But the idea is, you pull up to the you know side of the building, and on the driver's side, I'm assuming driver's side, there is a window with like a, like a curtained window or whatever, and the wake is taking place where you don't have to get out of your car and go inside. You just pull up, and they display the body for you. You can kind of sign a guest book, and you know, write some like nice words. And look at a dead person for a little bit, and then just drive off. Yeah, which is a super, super interesting and weird concept. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's essentially that if you go to a wake, if it's um, right. somebody who has a lot of people in attendance at their wake, you kind of stand in the line. And it's like, how do I say this? I realize this is very obvious, but like when you take it, it's literally like getting fast food. You can either decide to go inside McDonald's, stand behind a bunch of people, get your order and get your food, right? Or you can sit in your car, like in, you know, relative privacy or whatever, 
and still get the same process. You just pull up to a window and do your thing, right? So uh, on the surface, it works. At one point, it's kind of addressed that this is perfect for like the after work crowd. Yeah, people getting off work gotta gotta rush by awake, <laughs> just want to pay their respects and and, and move on. Um, I, I really liked it. Now, we're not going to do spoiler talk, so I'm going to going to address this here without spoiling it. I'm not saying that the drive-through crematorium is not uh, featured, uh, you know, throughout the throughout the book, but I really felt, I really felt like the focus of this book was going to be the drive-through crematorium, maybe because of the title, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe because of the title. So I will say that it does not feature as prominently as the cover promises. I'll agree. How, yeah, and and we can't we really can't say why without. I, I know. Yeah. See, that's <laughs> that. That's why it's tough to talk about a really short book. I did want to get that out there, though. Yeah. Um. With with the uh, introduction, though, of the drive-through crematorium, um, is is a couple of other characters that um, are important to the book, and I'm I'm going to introduce them lightly so as to not spoil much. Um, but Dr. Wagner is the owner of the drive through crematorium. He's the actual, like, I guess, mortician or funeral home director kind of guy, whatever you want to call well, him. He's, he's doing the work. So yeah. he's a, he's probably both, but yeah, he's definitely he's kind a mortician. Of both. Mm-hmm. And then his son also, uh, does work. His son's the guy that like goes and collects the bodies, which, um, <sighs> it brings to mind some friends of ours, um, who one of them is a funeral home director or like our mortician. Yeah. So a a mutual friend of ours, um, his wife works for a funeral home and, uh, in, in hanging out with them. Uh, I don't know if Livia's got much time to, to spend with them outside of, you know, the time that we work together and everything. But, uh, uh, to clarify me and Livia's never worked at a funeral home. We worked with a guy whose wife worked at a funeral home. Uh, but yeah, she had the greatest stories. Like, so if it was like, we were hanging out, uh, I, I'd, I'd pop over and hang out at their house. She always had like the weirdest, like body collection stories or like, you know, those types of things. And I, I it became very clear that like, if you ever want to be entertained, talk to a funeral home director or, or mortician or something like that. That's got to be a tough job, man. So um, <laughs> I, 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 I do know the young lady in question. I only met her a couple of times, actually, at open mics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, and she she seemed to be a blast. I, I, I honestly did not know she was a funeral home director until Rob just said that. Um, it has to take a special kind of person. Like, you can either be dead, dead serious and, and be around that kind of thing all day. Or you can kind of like, I don't want to say make light of it. But, you right. know, try to have a, a little more of a light spirit uh, uh, about you because of the things you deal with. So I can't, I mean, that's, so for the majority of people, that's going to be the hardest time in their life, right? The the passing of a loved one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, a lot of weird shit has to go on, right? Like weird reactions to that or, or weird situations and how someone died. So I certainly don't uh, begrudge anybody throwing some, some humor or, or, you know whatever sharing stories or whatnot but i don't think i could do that as a job man oh god yeah like i I mean the and i have to imagine that 
she was sharing the good stories. Like there had to be like the boring old, like, well, someone died and I had to, you know, and it was just like, um, not that, not that anybody's individual death is boring, but, um, the ones that go without incident, I think she probably didn't share those, but like, right. When it was the, you know, the, like they died like a month ago and like their pets were eating them alive or, or eating them after they died or whatever. Like those types of stories were, pretty well and and she had a great humor about it and i think there is that kind of uh not gallows humor but like the thing you do to um like process or handle like this awful thing that you have to you know for see. sure so yeah i i had a friend who was um uh, who got a job working in selling um uh, cemetery plots and like funeral service stuff at one mm-hmm. point many many years ago and he was like dude there's good money in this and I-, I couldn't do the the like body thing just being honest like you know like dealing with dead bodies but I, I couldn't like I couldn't do what he did like his office was in a cemetery <laughs> and just well ju- and just so yeah. alright so you know some of his job was future planning right so you and your 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 wife come in and you're getting on in years and you want to buy a plot together now because basically it's real estate and it only gets more expensive but then you know the next customer is literally someone who's burying their their teenage kid you know yep. I, I don't think I could be like there's there's I have a reverence for people that can do that and like keep it together in the face of that I, I, I couldn't do it you know, I mean, people literally yeah. crying at your desk while you're explaining to them how many thousands of dollars it's going to cost. Right. Like, like they're the, trying to the take upsell. your money. Yeah. Yeah. The upsell has got to be tough there, man. I will. All right. So I'm going to go into, <laughs> we're totally going off of the story. Um, but I have one, I have exactly one experience with like being in a funeral home and dealing with that type of stuff. When my father passed away, it was like 15 years ago. Um, and, I felt, I feel, I feel a little bad saying this, but like me and my mother and my brother, um, had to go to the, you know, the funeral home where, you know, he was being, my father was being kept and everything. And we had to go through all the paperwork and I'd never done anything like that before. So it was all new, but we were really jokey (laughs) with each other. And I felt a little bad for like the guy who was working with us because we were, we were kind of cracking jokes to each other. And I think it was just our way of like getting through shit, but, um, we definitely weren't taking it as seriously as probably we should have. Oh, I'm sure that's not the worst experience. You can't imagine that guy hasn't had someone be like, I'm glad that fucker's finally dead. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah you know what I mean? So, so anyway, yeah, we, we got a little off path, but a drive through <laughs> crematorium probably means less hands-on experience with the mourners. So there's that, right? Like you still have to deal with yeah. uh, with the you know selling of services and, and and whatnot. So easier to move the line along, like you know. Mm-hmm. One more thing that we should probably mention that's a pretty big aspect of the book is this cloud that's hanging over the town, and that cloud is the midnight monster, who has been uh, killing people kind of indiscriminately at night in their homes um, over the course of months i don't remember exactly yeah, i think it's, it's been months yeah. a good amount of time and it continues yeah it continues to go on throughout the course of this book so not so much a character as like a vibe that comes up pretty frequently um through through the course of the book the only thing i'll say about the midnight monster is that um when this like killer is brought up either if it's on the news or it's like you know passing in conversation um 
like it's talked about how they can't tell how they got in or out of the houses. They didn't leave any um, uh, trace of them being there. They just make it sound very mysterious and very much like nobody's safe. Anybody could get killed at any moment. So they, they really built up a lot of uh, mythology behind this person who's just killing people. And um, I think all of them get their throat slit. Like that was like a characteristic of the killer. But like the whole thing is like this person is killing um, seemingly at random and they they can get into anybody's house and they're never, you know, they never leave anything to help the cops find out who it is. Ooh. Ooh. Um, <laughs> sorry. Yes. I'm looking through my notes and I do think that um, there's one more thing I want to add. And this is just a great character thing. So Dr. <laughs> Wagner who is the mortician slash funeral home director at the drive through crematorium. Um, he has a hobby, which doesn't seem odd. So it's a hobby that exists in real life. And it really, you know, the more I thought about it, it seems like perfect for a mortician, I guess, but he collects serial killer memorabilia. <laughs> yeah. Which I thought was great. Um, it, see, this is, this is where spoiler talk comes in. Cause I don't want to say it. There's some really great stuff around serial killer memorabilia in general with this character not and some things you know personally about him in this book but there's some great i don't want to say like trivia around serial killer stuff which i thought was really really interesting and really cool yeah so um that's really all we can say we don't want to spoil it even though like i feel like spoiling a bizarro story does less damage to the reading experience (laughs) than if it was not bizarro because like there's so much that's a surprise and weird anyway that like even if you knew the ending like it probably wouldn't ruin the experience of reading the book but you know that's kind of our mo so um here's what i'll say overall the the stanley story is kind of our our foundation but the really cool parts of the book are the the midnight monster kind of story and how it weaves into what's going on with the the characters that we are introduced to and like Livia said you know the the kind of interesting idiosyncrasies with Dr. Wagner the fact that there exists a drive-through crematorium all that stuff is what makes the book i, I think gives the book puts the meat on the bones yes for sure now are we getting ready to go into wrap-ups I think, yeah, I don't know. I I think that we have to, right? I want to read the blurb from the front cover of this book. (laughs) A thoroughly baffling, unsettling, and mesmerizing journey into madness. I read that because uh, we we have physical copies. We had ARC copies that, that were sent to us. And I thought to myself, the baffling... I don't know how many times that's possibly been used in a blurb, but <laughs> who the fuck would want that as a blurb for their book? So, I mean, I, I, I looked up baffling. It's impossible to understand or perplexing. <laughs> so I kind of knew I was in for, for a little bit of a, of a wild ride. And I, I want to give credit to Dave Zeltzerman, um, who is the uh, blurb giver the blurb provider i don't know what the blurber i don't know what the right word is now it's blurb for um yeah for <laughs> it is now for sure <laughs> so 
Um, baffling is like the perfect description for this book. It's absolutely perfect. This isn't like, I was kind of like trying to go into wrap ups. It's not necessarily part of my wrap up. I just wanted to address that, you know, you read blurbs and, and they always feel kind of generic. And this one is just so goddamn spot on that I want to, I want to give a star rating to this blurb of five stars. Well, I'm going to uh, pause you right there then. Did you, if mm-hmm. on the flip side, he's the bo- at the bottom on the back of the cover, it's like a bigger, it's an expanded version of that same blurb? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm looking at it right now. Yes. Yes. He's not the only person, so I'll read the whole thing. Toss Kafka, David Lynch, and a pinch of Flannery O'Connor in a blender, and you just might end up with the drive through crematorium, a thoroughly baffling, unsettling, and mesmerizing journey into madness. That's from Dave Zeltzerman, author of Small Crimes, Now a Motion Picture. Hey, there you go. Um, I don't know that, that truer words have ever been written uh, on, a, on a blurb, so now I will go into my actual <laughs> wrap-up. Um. I feel like at times during this review, I, I maybe wasn't succinct in how I felt about this book. This book was batshit crazy. This book was baffling. It's the perfect word. Um, the characters were obviously not grounded in any kind of reality. Um, the story itself meandered and got really weird and was, according to um, dictionary.com, uh, uh, it was impossible to understand and perplexing. That being said, I don't honestly know that I enjoyed a book more that I've read this past year. And when I say that, like from the enjoy in, in a, in a manner where like I had fun reading this book, this book came at a time where I don't want to say I was tired, but like, like we just slogged through wanderers, which was 800 pages, right? This book was a reminder that a book doesn't have to make any goddamn sense at all. It can just be interesting and it can be fun. So from that standpoint, this is probably the most enjoyable book I've read this year. There's some things I couldn't talk about that are super spoilery, but there are some absolutely brilliant moments in this book um, that I thought were were you know borderline genius. Um, and it didn't have to. It didn't have to, <laughs> to make a lot of sense. To be honest, I still super super enjoyed this book. I think it's an important reminder sometimes that fiction doesn't have to take itself super seriously. And uh, I, that reminder for me came at like just the right time. Like I, I almost want to say we have to do one of these a year, but I feel like if, if we do one on a regular basis, then it just becomes routine. And I'd much rather have one pop up like this out of nowhere, um, which would make it uh, more enjoyable for me. I adored this book. I'm going to give it five stars. Whoa, I wasn't sure where you would land on this one, so that's uh not I, I'm not gonna say surprising, but it's it's good. I'm happy to hear mm-hmm. that. Um so there's my wrap up is not gonna sound much like my uh analysis of, of the book when we were talking about it because I've I've got some overall thoughts about it. Um that's thoughts like T H O U G H T, not T H O T you have you've heard thought? Like the the slang, have you heard that? Yes, Rob. You're acting kind of like a hoe. Anyway, <laughs> yes. I don't have thoughts on this. I have thoughts on this. Um, I, it, it kind of hints at in some points, like uh, even in the synopsis where there's an evil person inside of him, um, at, at kind of a Jekyll and Hyde 
kind of duality of a person. Um, and, and that's not really spoilery, but uh, it's interesting to think about. So even though this book is absurd and it causes you to like, just really throw up your hands and say, I got to just follow along with whatever the random hell is going on. Um, it does make you think about um, the character we've told you about. Stanley is a very ineffectual. Um, he won't uh, kind of stand up for himself. Um, and so it, it kind of, depicts the person who's doing everything the way that you're expected to do it as being the person who's got the, the emptiest life. Um, and then, you know, without going into what the other side looks like, um, it does kind of hint at kind of a, like a, like a Jekyll Hyde slash Jekyll and Hyde situation. Um, and so that's interesting. And it made me think a little bit, uh, about who, you know, why we do the things we do. Um, and, what what do we how like the society's expectations of a person sometimes if you if you feel the pressure to to do what what the society wants you to maybe your life isn't that great and so it was kind of neat to see that little kernel of of an idea buried in all this madness um on the other hand there's a lot of really cool killing and there's a lot of weird stuff that happens and um it's overall it's it's pretty entertaining and i like the it, there's the guy with the 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 office life that's falling apart is not new like some of this a lot of the basic plot points of the story follow along with the movie wanted if you want to think about it that way um so it it's what happens because of the setup that makes the book very good. It was entertaining to read. It was really weird. Um, but yeah, it, it does have that kind of kernel of a deeper thought buried under all the madness. And, and um, John is a good writer. This is definitely, I feel like a, a bigger departure from some of his more linear and sane writing, but even like the stuff that is written um, more seriously, has a, a, a deep darkness to it and, and he can be a pretty disturbing guy and the, enough of that came through in here too. So overall I really enjoyed it and um, yeah, I'm going to go four stars. I, even though it's a paper book, I actually have a passage huh? that I wanted to read, which is, I don't want to say a little out of keeping with the rest of the story, but um, it, it's probably a little more serious than at least I interpreted the rest of the story. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not going to attribute this to anybody, but um, uh, someone is saying to someone else, I hope you understand. He says, understand what? He says that poets and artists and musicians deal in propaganda, that there is no heavenly blue sky, no lovely flowers blooming, no autumn breeze blowing, no beauty at all, only a mass grave ready to swallow and digest our flesh, blood, and bones. <laughs> That's some good shit right there, man. Yeah, yeah, it's not just absurdity. Uh, there's mm -hmm. some serious stuff in here. For sure. Yeah. Um, super, super happy that we got to read this one. I, I can't tell you enough like how it just hit at the right time to remind me that there's other stuff out there. Um, that, you know, maybe we don't, uh, maybe we don't pay enough attention to, I don't know. Well, it's nice to have, um, like, uh, a variety, like you, you were even saying it in a different episode where sometimes we need to read the shitty books to remind us what the good mm -hmm. books are like. And, and yep. 
sometimes we need to read the absurd books to remind us what a serious book is like, or just to enjoy the absurd book, not, you know, using it as a lesson for something else. Yeah, coming up later this year on Booked Westerns. We're going to start reviewing <laughs> Westerns. I feel like I, we haven't done enough Westerns. Yeah, we did. I feel like The Hunger was pretty close because it was like a frontier kind of book. So Yeah, I mean, we did Keaton's Pig Iron. Weird Ass, yeah. Pig Iron, that one. Uh, we had Kevin Helmick's book. Yeah, the also uh, Western. Rain King. Yeah. yeah. See, this is why you're good at this because you remember all the actual titles. Yeah, I know. I just well, I just went through all of them the other day when I was that's that's doing some true. data stuff. So, um, I uh, Thomas Joyce is not caught up to those for me to like have more fresh in my memory. <laughs> oh man, he is the best. I love that he's going back through like our entire catalog and while well, while well, keeping up with our current catalog. That's uh, it's brave. A, it's because we we don't have like a Facebook memory to pop up like. You know, yeah. <laughs> all the time where you're like, oh, yeah, that book or oh, yeah, that author. Or I go, what the fuck is this? I don't do we. Is that an actual episode? What? Oh, oh, yeah. OK. Yeah, yeah. I remember what that is because that happens too, at least to me. So, um, yeah. All right. Now that that's in the bag, um, back to maybe more normal like fiction, right? <laughs> the next one going to be hopefully a little more based grounded in reality. Not hopefully. I don't know. Hopefully is the right word, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, um, so the next, when you're talking about the next book we're talking about, right, which is the uh, highly anticipated The Warehouse by Rob Hart. It's one of those uh, buzz, it's on all the lists kind of books right now. Yep. Well, I got to tell you, it's on my list of books that I finished recently, so I'm, uh, I put that one to bed too. Uh, and I'm excited to get to talk about that, but you don't want to know what else I'm excited about. We're going to do that? it uh, with Rob Hart. Rob yeah. Hart will be joining us. Yeah, it's going to be, I love, I love, like, Rob Hart is one of those guys where he, he's just cool. He's simple to talk to, and he's always interesting, and he's, like, very nice, and, and I just, I like talking to the dude. He's, he's he's like, one of the easier authors that we've we've had on. Like, we had a great conversation with Paul Tremblay just, you know, an episode or two ago, and Rob's the same way. He's super easy to talk to, and, and he knows how to have a good conversation. Yeah, we pulled back a little bit on author interviews this year, so we're really kind of um, zone honing in, honing in. Is that the word? Honing sure. In? On like like the few people who we really really want to talk to this year, and Rob Hart is definitely on that list. A longtime friend of this podcast, um, author of what I think is going to be a pretty big deal book, um, and yeah. uh, we're going to talk to him about it. So the way we think this might work is that uh, we think you're going to hear a Rob Hart interview, and then the following episode will be the actual review for the book. We're still kind of waiting on some things to, to come through that help us uh, kind of line this up the right way. But uh, I'm very excited about the next two episodes. I will tell you that. Do you know what I'm excited for? Um, no. Episode-wise, I'm looking at our list of recent episodes, Livius, and if you had to guess, when was the last time we did an interlude what date would you give me? Six two. It's August sixth right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're I'm saying going Ju- with June second, June fourth, somewhere around there. How Beginning about May 9th? <laughs> Jesus, that's the last time. So the only thing we've had uh, outside of that is the prom episode. Um, uh, was on June eighteenth, but uh, we've got. 
it's just been books and interviews and that prom episode since May 9th. It's insane. So what you're saying is you're looking forward to a break. Oh my God. There's not one coming. We're doing this interview, the warehouse, and then we're moving right into another book because we promised. <sighs> what did we say we were going to try to do this year? Kill me what with the words? Yes. Yes. Kill you with words. <laughs> um, uh, it's a lot. Yeah, we're not, sure, a lot. we're not sure what's coming up after the warehouse, um, but there will definitely be something. I can tell you that for sure. Might be a book review. Might be an interlude. Don't know. Um, but it's it's been three months. Jesus. Yeah. It's, you know how I think that's a those. I do want to say that um, we're we're not announcing this, but so we're going to do vague casting. I think is what we used to call it, right? We yeah, do have uh, yeah. some some pretty big news coming up in, in the in the form of um, a guest we're going to have on the show. I I am beside myself excited. It's one of those things that we're not going to talk <laughs> about it until it's a little closer to the time. It's not quite the David Duchovny thing where we're not going to say what it is at all until it actually materializes, so you'll get a little bit of notice. But um, coming up later this year, um, something that Rob and I have both been looking forward to for a long time. We've got like kind of confirmation on that earlier this week, so super excited about that. Yeah, I feel like we're just putting in a lot of effort this year, a lot more than... I, I think that 2017 slapped us in the face. And so in 2018, we tried to bring it back. And, and so, like, we read more. We got David Duchovny on the podcast. And this year, it's just, like, full throttle. It's, like, the pedals on the floor. And um, uh, we're doing a lot of exciting stuff. I, I'm happy that we got to talk to Paul. I'm very excited to talk to Rob again. Uh, this other guest that Livius is vague casting about is actually really, 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 really exciting. So we're, we're doing it, man. And we're going to keep doing it because that's what we do and somehow i think we managed to probably get like 40 minutes out of this little book and that little <laughs> bit of nothing at the end there so uh i'm gonna make one more observation about like mm-hmm. um how like how much we're killing it um we, we've talked before about how this year we've had more books prepared a, ahead of time than than in the history of the podcast <laughs> um, which i think at one point was like we had 16 um planned that we hadn't read yet um we've already got six books on the list for 2020 we're six books deep into a year that doesn't start for another like six five months yeah that's that's crazy like i i like that but then (laughs) when it starts to get like we're that far away i start to wonder like where does it fucking stop do we get to like 2021 and by like november of 2020 we're like that's it it's all planned out it's all scheduled out i think it's gonna end up being that way i think it is oof uh, I mean, it's really cool when you don't have to struggle to figure out what your next episode is because yeah. there have been so many times. You guys don't necessarily hear about it here where it's Rob and I are in our different locations, combing through different lists, sending <laughs> screenshots. of what, what about this? Here's a link to this. What Maybe this. Well, what else do we got? Well, we could always do an interlude, like that type of thing. It's it's actually been nice, although I feel like exhausting over the last couple of months to, to keep up with things we've been trying to get done. Yeah. And the only downside is I think that I love the term or the phrase necessity is the mother of invention. I think it's those desperate moments where it's like, shit, we have to make an episode three days from now that give us things like the erotic uh, extravaganza <laughs> yeah. that we did. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. We, we might be going too straight. I was thinking about that recently, how like, cause you know, every now and then I, I all right, so I'm going to go into a whole diversion, but I hope it doesn't take too long. Um, 
it drives me crazy when um, there's like a handful of podcasts that I'm subscribed to and I look and the last time that they released an episode was like two or three weeks ago. And I'm like, how is it that like two of the laziest guys I know managed to put out an episode every week? And these these people can't get that together. So I go back into our our catalog and I re-listen to some of the old stuff because turns out it's actually entertaining and inter- interesting for me too to like listen to the people that we've talked to and stuff like that. And what I'm getting at is I feel like we've been more analytical and and straight and not doing like the funny stuff as much uh, lately. So. Are you um, telling me you just want to review more porn? Is that where this is going? Well, no, but like we, you know, we always had so much fun with the uh, the Amazon reviews and stuff like that. Yep. And I feel like we yeah. haven't gone as much into that lately. So I'd like to see that little, um, you know, lighthearted humor thing come back a little bit. Well, I'm not going to say we're going to work on it because when you work on stuff like that, it never right. um, it sucks. It never materializes. Yeah. So what I will say is that we'll probably keep a little more open mind and see if we can do something. Uh, be a little more open to something fun because we've really been kind of really like strict scheduling and and more so than we've ever done. So yeah, I think you're right. Maybe yeah. we have to just lay back a little bit. Yeah, it's been more have, play. Yeah. Yeah, we still have a lot of shit lined up for this year. Just saying. Oh, I'm looking at a list right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Come on. There's a lot of stuff. Um, Yeah. All right. Um, We're going to, we're going to cut out. Rob has a lot of reading to do and (laughs) some editing and stuff. Mm. Yeah. Rob's like, Oh shit. That's right. Um, Thank you for (laughs) listening. Um, Thanks to John Bassoff for sending out these books um, or whoever sent up like, yeah, like just tremendous, tremendous fun. So, uh, until uh, until next time, when we're going to be joined by Rob Hart, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. <laughs>